Hello, everyone. Welcome back to AOCPML podcast. My name is Lok Lim. I'm a fourth-year medical student and a AOCPML populations co-chair. I will be the host for the podcast today. And with me here is Dr. Aslan Tariq. And welcome to our podcast, Dr. Tariq. Uh, hey, it's, my pleasure. Uh, it's my pleasure to uh, host you today for the podcast. And thank you so thank much you. for being here. Yeah. And uh, before we go ahead with some questions, I just want to do a little bit uh, introduction about yourself to the audience. Is that okay, Dr. Tariq? Absolutely. Okay. And so Dr. Asantarik is a board-certified physical medicine and rehabilitation physician and a chief clinical officer of the Integrated Rehab Consultants. Uh, he earned his graduate, undergraduate degree from Stony Brook University and received a medical degree from the Glenn Erie College of Osteopathic Medicines. He completed his physical medicine rehabilitation residency at Marion Joy Rehabilitation Hospital. Uh, he went on to complete additional fellowship training in pain and musculoskeletal medicine at University of Wisconsin Medicine. Dr. Terry currently provides BMR service to various post-acute facilities in Chicago area. Dr. Terry is also a medical examiner. He also a uh, the owner and founder of Optimal Health Medical Fitness and uh, Illinois Institute of Regenerative Medicines. His outpatient practice are uh, dedicated to provide most advanced non-surgical orthopedic and regenerative medicines in the Chicago area. Uh, are these information correctly describing you, Dr. Terry? It does. You missed a few things here, but I'll talk about it more later. Okay. All right. Uh, and so we can just go ahead with some questions. Um, how did you learn about BMNR? And can you tell us about your journey in matching into this specialty? Sure. Uh, uh, well, thanks. For, first of all, thank you for having me on the uh, podcast. And, you know, it was a pleasure having you as one of my students. And obviously, we met outside as well. So, uh, you know, keeping social distancing, but it was uh, nice to see you. But um, and I'm glad, you know, you're doing this podcast, but I feel like it's a value for the students to get to hear different perspectives, because once you go into training, sometimes you kind of are in a, in a bubble or a cocoon, and you might not really hear what other people have to say. Uh, the field itself is very uh, broad, and hopefully I'll give some perspective about that. So back to uh, my background. So I, I grew up in Pakistan. I moved when I was 18 to the U.S. My parents still lived there, actually. And when I came to the U.S., I initially wanted to uh, go back. That was my intent because my family ran a business, and I really had no intention of, you know, doing medicine and staying here. If I wanted to do medicine, I could have stayed back there. It would be a lot shorter. Uh, it was only five years of medical school there. But regardless, I came and I uh, initially signed up for a degree in business uh, with also degree in anthropology. But I happened to find a job as one of those like billboards or not billboards, those like, you know, uh, signs that you have for jobs, for summer jobs. And it was a job to work in a nursing home as a need. And it kind of intrigued me. I really was interested in, uh, you know, knowing more about it. I felt like it was something that was just interesting and really didn't think that was going to lead on to different things. But ended up applying and I absolutely loved it. The, the patients, uh, you know, really gave me a lot of good positive feedback. They said, you know, you have a great demeanor and, you know, if you're good in science, you should should be a physician and you know kind of go forward and kind of go from there i also ended up spending some time with a physician who was seeing patients in that setting who happened to be a physiatrist and at that point i had no idea what i wanted to do uh, and what the field of physiatry was but it was interesting that i got exposed to that early on and uh, i'm you know now i'm that attending working in that setting and i have students under me um but I also got another job uh, in the summer uh, working as a brain injury counselor. Basically, what it was that 
uh, their brain injury patients that go back to the community and they cannot be 100% independent. So they have people helping them. And it was uh, called the Long, Long Island Brain Injury Institute. Um, it was really cool experience to kind of spend time with them, really understand their disabilities and, you know, try to make them as productive of a, a part of society as possible. So, like, you know, shopping or the movie theater. So it's really cool. Like, got to make some lifelong friends there and really understood, like, disability. So I, I started, you know, connecting uh, towards medicine at that point. I really didn't know about physiatry at that point too much. Uh, in my third year rotation, uh, in one of my internal medicine rotation, one of the interns was a physiatrist, uh, well, future physiatrist because he's an intern at that point. Uh, he told me about PMNR and really intrigued me. Uh, going back, you know, osteopathic medicine, I, I felt like it was, it was a good fit for me because I've always been told from my grandma and my uncle and aunt that whenever they had some aches and pains, I would come in and massage them. And they said, they said I had ma magic in my hands, but I don't know if that's true. But regardless, I felt like it was really good with my hands and I love the MSK system. So osteopathic medicine was a good fit for me. I, I could have gone either way because I got into MD and DO school, but I decided to go the osteopathic way. Then the next natural progression for me was going to be PMNR. And then I solidified my my decision about that based on my experience in the rotations. I did a bunch of rotations, mostly in Chicago, uh, at all the main hospitals here, pretty much all the main ones here. Um, and uh, every rotation, I, my love for the re residency and the, the specialty grew. I ended up finding some phenomenal uh, mentors. That's you know that's the key for all this is finding people you can look up to, and you know hopefully they're especially with his eyes being so nice. Uh, I've never, I've barely ever met a physiatrist who's you know mean or. Uh, doesn't you know want to help out so it's, so they're very approachable don't ever think someone's not approachable always to reach out to them so I, I had the same thing I had multiple mentors who helped me out and I feel like uh, having gone through the whole process and finished my postmortem in 2008 20 years later um, I, I feel very fortunate to have found an amazing specialty that's an awesome story you have there, and I'm very glad you shared with us today about your journey and how to mention to be an R. Very glad about that. And uh, what are some memorable memorable experiences that you have as a current physiatrist, even as a past resident or fellow, that make you glad that you choose BMR as a specialty? I think it's hard to kind of pinpoint to one specific person or one specific day. Uh, honestly, I'm very, very blessed to be able to do this every day. Uh, you were in my rotation, so you know the, the relationship with I have my patients. They're part of my family. They treat me like family. They treat my son as their grandson. Uh, you know, many patients come bringing gifts and vegetables from the garden or things like that. I mean, I never asked for it, but they feel like they, they want to because I've helped them achieve something that they thought they could achieve. For example, walking without a cane or uh, being able to avoid a surgery or losing weight or you know, things like that just to make them like feel you know, normal, but sometimes they just they lose that, uh, you know, drive or they don't have anybody helping them out. So I keep telling my patients, and that's something that I tell my students to also tell the patients that the physiatrist, the goal of a physiatrist is to add life into your years, not necessarily years into your life. So if I'm going to make you a more active and functional person, that's my goal. And I'm gonna find different things in which I can actually make that happen. If that means injections, that means therapy, that means uh, nutrition, that means fitness, and whatever that is, or maybe it's medicine, whatever that is, if I can make you more functional person. So on a daily basis, um, I have many memorable patients. It's hard to kind of pinpoint to one person. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And um, uh, 
as back to the uh, the fact that you are private that's why you you private business owner that's why you have that owner experience and uh, running a business is something that we never learn in medical school or probably even in residency so in this pocket i just want to explore more about this topic uh, can you tell us why you decide to run your own private practice business uh, straight out of like residency or fellowship and what are your experience like uh, to doing that so I think partially it comes from my parents because my parents uh, still run a business in, in Pakistan. They actually run a school. Um, and I grew up around that environment of like, you know, being an entrepreneur and starting your own boss. So I felt like it was more natural for me, uh, even though it is definitely risky. Uh, obviously, anybody would tell you that the starting your own practice or starting a business is risky. And it's even more risky nowadays because less and less physicians are coming out of training to start your own practice. I think physiatry can still do a certain specialty is really difficult to even set up on practice. Uh, obviously, certain things like ER, anesthesiology, things like that are more difficult or hospitals, obviously. But but that said, you know, I feel like I was more open to it. And I had the business degree in undergrad. And, you know, I felt like I, even though I work really well with people, obviously I've had many people who are above me and bosses and things like that. But um, I um, am a good follower, but I felt like I'm, I'm a better leader. So I ended up deciding to make that uh, jump. And it was, it was something that uh, some people were basically telling me, my, some, even some of my mentors were saying that it's risky, you know, like going out and do your own thing. And some actually recommended against it. They said, just, you know, have, have a paycheck and have a job. But uh, with the kind of personality I have, more risk, more reward. That's exactly how I feel majority of the time. And I, I took the risk and I'm glad I made the risk. Um, at the same time, the challenges uh, way above and beyond what I can talk about in a few minutes here. But as a business owner, you have to really do it all. So I have to know what SEO is, uh, which is called search engine optimization. I know I have to know social media. I know how to design a website. I mean, do I have to do it myself? No, not necessarily. But I have to know enough about it. Otherwise, people will come in. They basically will charge me, you know, crazy amounts when I know this is what the, what the you know, real value of that thing is. Then you have to you know, basically be the person responsible for plumbing and electricity and, uh, you know, insurance and attorneys. And there's so many different layers of that. Uh, obviously, in a hospital setting, you have many people helping you out. But in this setting, as a business owner, you have to do it all. So my hours could be any time of the day. I mean, the time from the time I wake up to the time I go to sleep. I have to think about it. That doesn't mean that that's what I have to constantly do. But uh, it just is something I have to, you know, basically keep an, keep an eye on, you know, at all times. Oh, thank you for sharing that. Uh, that is very, uh, that's very uh, helpful um, uh, from uh, your point of view. And um, can you tell us uh, about your typical day of uh, the week as a private uh, clinicians? Sure. Uh, with me, because I do many things now, and you've kind of mentioned a few things. So just to kind of give a quick summary, I um, do clinic one day a week, which you guys, you know, were spending time with me. The other three days of, well, usually four days, depending on the week, um, I round in the subacute setting, which is basically rehab setting after you in the hospital. These are nursing homes that historically that, you know, were not really rehab places, but now they've become rehab places. We have a lot of patients who have the same type of condition. Uh, on top of that, I mix it in with running the business, uh, you know, be the chief medical officer of uh, the largest group in the country. Um, I also do some medical legal work, and just to kind of tell you what that is, basically, like people who have uh, injuries and your attorneys that want a specific feedback or um, you know information about what the condition is about or you know what the cost would be and what kind of surgery someone might need, I assist with that as well. 
So I have to kind of do it all. And it's all like, sometimes it's all mixed in the same day. Sometimes it's separated, but um, I like it that way. It kind of keeps it interesting. I don't do the exact same thing every day. I'm always um, you know, on the go and doing things. That's my personality. And I've done it for almost 10 years now. And I really don't have any intention of slowing down yet. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Even like when I was uh, rotating with you and when you would try to teach us, I saw you in the car, keep moving around and keep, uh, keep very busy. So, <laughs> yeah. And uh, so uh, your practice at Optimal Health Medical Fitness is such an awesome like, uh, medical facility that has almost everything that you need for like an MSK or like a sport clinic. Uh, I'm really a big fan of it because it's something that I kind of like, uh, want to do in the future as well. And so uh, can you tell us more about this facility that you have and uh, how did you come up with this business model and what are some, things, what are some challenge that you face as running this business? Sure. Um, I think if I think about it, you know, as an osteopath, you always um, think about prevention. You always think about, um, you know, if you really go to the core of an osteopathic position, you're talking about preventative medicine, you're talking about weight, fitness and function, those are the kind of things that we always you know, think about. So one of the issues that I had as an attending right off the bat, and even before that was, um, if I had a patient with knee pain and they came in to see me for knee pain and um, you know, I tell them, hey, well, you should go join the gym and this is a list of exercises I want you to do for your knee pain or maybe go see a physical therapist. But if I know the underlying issues, they're overweight or they're not eating right or they're not active, you know, there's only certain amount, of, only so much I can do in that that quick meeting, and I felt like the compliance is very low. So if I told someone to go join a gym, they would join a gym, and then invariably they would get hurt, or they just didn't want to go, and they would just, you know, tell not tell me about that, or not show up because if they have fear of, you know, uh, basically acknowledging the fact that they they failed in a way, even though I don't think that's a failure at all. Uh, but that said, you know, um, I didn't really have any control over who I send the patient to for training, fitness, and personal training and nutrition. I had some people that I could, I helped, I knew, and they helped me. But I wanted to combine the, the physiatry side of things and the fitness side of things into to one. And that's where the medical fitness idea came about. Once I got the idea, I realized it's not a unique idea that I came up with, that other people across the country were doing it. But I had no clue that people were thinking that way. There's a big, uh, you know, nice, amazing corporation out in Minnesota called Reju Medical that really helped me out. They were my mentors. They helped me set everything up. And I basically had the marriage of the training and the physiatry side. At that point, they are going to see a trainer, get a functional assessment. If they need therapy, they'll get therapy start losing the weight, they don't get the, unless they have severe pain, they don't get the injection right off the bat. I want them to see if exercise will improve that because we know arthritis, it improves by movement. So motion is lotion. So, um, you know, that's, that's a relationship I get with them and I have control over my, my trainers in the same facility. You have a chiropractor, a functional medicine doctor, because sometimes weight loss, and that's just not about eating right. It could be the thyroid. It could be your hormones. So I, I don't, I mean, even like to learn all these things, but I know that I need experts who can help me and under the same roof. If someone comes in, we can try to provide them all the resources they can. In my practice, in all the years I've done this, and I've seen hundreds of patients, I think in approximately 95% of patients that I see do not need surgery. It's probably 98%. Uh, you know, obviously, it's not a fracture or ACL tear kind of patient. Sometimes they do need the surgery, but a lot of times I can do regenerative medicine and rehab and diet and other modifications and help them achieve the goals they want to achieve. 
So that's really the idea came about. Um, I think the if there's any negatives or about it is basically again any negatives that could come along with being a prior practitioner or you know, independent uh, business owner. Um, you know, that's that's the, something that you have no one has control over. Uh, reimbursement, uh, hospital systems, you know, being involved. There's so many different variables, and it's hard to kind of get into it in a lot of detail. But but I, I'm glad that you know the setup that I have, I'm able to provide for the patients what I would provide for myself, and that was my was my goal. And I don't prescribe any narcotics in my clinic, which you know is really nice uh, because I have patients who are highly motivated and uh, they don't want to be addicted to medicine. Wow, thank you for explaining that uh, more to us. Uh, very interesting and uh, definitely like something I'm looking for in the future as well. And uh, so currently you are also a chief clinical officer for the integrated rehab consultants. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about this position that you serve right now? And what are some of your duty as a CCO and what are some challenges that you face and how did you co- overcome it? So I'll try to summarize that in a few minutes. So, um, you know, as we know, the physiatrists work in different settings. We, we will, as you'll hear this term again and again, it's called the continuum of care. The continuum of care basically means seeing the physical patient, managing the patient and their outcomes throughout their, their view. The time they get to the hospital, the time they're even home. So the whole process. So uh, historically, physiatrists have worked in acute rehab setting and outpatient setting. Uh, if someone has a stroke, you know, they get acute rehab, they get better then depending on how much better they are and their insurance, things like that, they might go home or they might not be able to go home at that point. They might need some more rehab before going home. So interestingly, six times at, uh, more rehab happens in the subacute setting, which is a nursing home with rehab than acute rehab. Historically, physiatrists have not been involved there. You know, we basically like, you know, would see the patient acute rehab, say, we'll see you later, and the patient might come back in the, in the clinic. So how do you really control someone's you know, these, uh, all these values and all these different, uh, uh, basically, functional out- sorry, outcomes without, you know, doing that. So that's where, you know, actually in residency, we had a subacute unit in our hospital. We would actually manage patients there. We did in-house moonlighting. We got exposed to that significant ex- exposure to that in residency. Uh, in fellowship, I ended up doing some moonlighting, uh, doing subacute rehab. My chief, former chief resident, you know, uh, basically, he started a new practice uh, in 2010. And in uh, 12 or so, I was a third physician who joined the company. And uh, after that, it, it's exploded. So we have 150 physicians now across the country. We're in 30 states. Um, vast majority of us, actually, you know, all, almost all the physicians are actually independent contractors. The, what IRC does basically helps uh, set up their practice. Uh, we all work in a post-acute or subacute setting. Uh, managing patients' outcomes, seeing patients in rehab, helping the same patients you see in, this, in the acute rehab setting. You, know, you saw everybody, you saw spinal cord patients, stroke, orthopedic fractures, you know, neurological conditions, things like ALS and Parkinson's and everything in between. So we are the consulting physician there versus an acute rehab for the primary physician. So, uh, so we have a co-management model, which I manage the rehab side of things, the pain, MSK, neuro, rehab, and the primary care managers, what they really did at internal medicine, diabetes, hypertension, CHF, COPD. So we work together as a team, the therapist, me, the primary care, the orthopedic surgeons, depending on you know uh, what kind of condition someone has to optimize care, to reduce the length of stay, to reduce the hospitalization rate, to reduce the cost of healthcare. And the physiatrist, the best at creating value because we're not expensive, we're not surgeons. You know, we don't like, you know, we don't order a lot of expensive 
test uh, some medications and we try to improve the function of patient and reduce their falls and things like that. So that said, that's what the company does. As chief clinical officer, I am helping create protocols, doing all the educations, doing a lot of uh, outreach, uh, speaking at the AAPMR conference this year, uh, two talks. Uh, normally every year I give a talk as well. At the same time, like guiding all the physicians we have, the practitioners we have in what the proper way or the right way to help these patients that would be. So in a nutshell, that's, that's, that's obviously a lot more on top of that, but that's usually in a nutshell. The challenges are, you know, like it's, uh, it's, it's constant, you know, I have to kind of mix in, again, other stuff that I do with that. Uh, you have to troubleshoot, you have to kind of find answers quickly uh, with COVID or time, obviously. Uh, so we have to kind of find different ideas, uh, pivot to telemedicine, um, and, you know, and initially when I approach, you know, obviously on Twitter, when, when you approached me as well, and I had a, a, quite a few students who approached me, um, at that point, I wasn't super busy, you know, because like, you know, things had slowed down and I was doing telemedicine, which is in a way is more efficient than being in person. But, and then uh, within a couple of months, it went back to normal. And then I felt like, you know, I really couldn't do any uh, virtual rotation anymore, but I plan, I, I still have students now. I have students in my clinic now, but I, I still prefer in person. Yeah, that's a, a great business uh, that you're working with the IRC, definitely. And I'm looking forward to your talk at the AABMR, uh conference because I'm also kind of attend there, so, even though it's virtual, but hopefully I can have a chance to talk to see your talk uh, over there. Um, and I'm very glad that you uh, make that virtual rotation actually and <laughs> very helpful, uh, especially for repaying me for BMR. Um, and uh, what are your goals in the future as a private clinical practice owner, especially in the field of BMNR? I think my goal is to keep on providing the care that I'm providing. I feel like my patients have given me feedback over the years of, you know, why they prefer to see me before they see an surgeon, for example, for an opinion. People come to see me for the first opinion. Um, they, you know, now because I've done for long enough, I, you know, most prior practice physicians will say that. So I've seen like the whole family, you know, I've seen for example, I, I initially might have seen the, the mom and then she told her husband and then the kids came in. So I see the whole family for different situations. People are active or people have autoimmune disorders or people are older or younger. So in my clinic, I have my youngest patient and I was eight years old. My oldest is 98 years old. So I can see the, you know, the whole gamut of patients. So my goal, my own personal goal is to keep improving my knowledge. You know, I am, you know, that's one of the reasons that I, I have students with me and a lot of private practice doctors don't have students with me is that it motivates me to learn more. Um, and, you know, you guys get presentations and, you know, we did some journal clubs, you watch some videos, that kind of stuff. It keeps motivating me to improve because I'm not satisfied yet with the, amount of, with the amount of knowledge that I have. There's so much more to learn. And I'm learning more about other things that I never realized would be important. So hopefully one thing that, you know, your listeners can uh, look into is the connection between nutrition and function. That's one of the things that is, is missing. Even in osteopathic school, I barely got enough education about nutrition. Definitely residency is barely any of that. But there is a strong connection with what you eat and how you feel. Uh, if associated with pain, improvement in function, uh, you know, maximizing your, your capability, uh, there's a, a strong connection with that. Uh, so knowing, learning that, that's the journey that I'm going through right now and learning more about that. But in a nutshell, I'm constantly learning. Like, you can't see it too well here, but like all the, all the books here on the side, these are all like PM&R books that I have. And I'm still reading them. I'm still watching videos. I'm still going to conferences. So I, I, I never want to stop learning. 
Okay, oh, yeah. I, I see. Yeah, there's a lot of book behind you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as for the Philippine Manor, what is your view or understanding on the future of Phil as a whole? I think the future is very bright for it. At the same time, you know, one of the issues that I am working with in the AAPMR conference, or not the conference, the, the organization, we have a committee called the Brand Expansion Committee. And, you know, now, what does that really mean in a nutshell? It's like expanding the brand of physiatry. And physiatry has a significant branding issue. Like people don't know what we do. And uh, residents and medical students never get exposed to it. You know, the, the number of times I've heard uh, from even a fourth year medical residents saying, oh, I've never got exposed to PMNR. So I think branding is a big, big issue. People don't know what physiatry means. They don't understand what we do. Uh, but once they understand what we do, there's a significant amount of value, obviously. Um, I think the, the future is bright for us because obviously the population is getting older. Uh, Medicare insurance companies are kind of the pairs, we call them. They're focusing on uh, quality of care and value-based medicine. It basically means that you're not doing the most expensive thing. We know historically that if a patient uh, has back pain and they see a physiatrist, it'd be less costly for the system than they go see an orthopedic surgeon. Uh, you're gonna probably prevent a lot of surgeries. You're gonna, you're gonna reduce the hospitalization rate. Uh, you know, there's different tools that we have and always trying to improve quality of life. So usually we're not doing expensive things. So in the era of the value-based medicine, the, the future is very bright for us. Now, that's just one part of it. Sports medicine, people are more active than ever before. They're more runners and marathons. You know, the, the population is getting older. You have a lot more. Uh, there's a regenerative medicine. is a huge field that we haven't even touched yet. Uh, there's, there's new technology, ultrasound, you know, other stuff like that. There's so much out there that... I think we need a more physiatrist. That's one thing for sure as a population. You know, we, we, we have a huge bulk of patients going to be older soon, you know, the baby boomers and uh, after that. So in a nutshell, the future of physiatry is phenomenal. I have no, no issues, I think. Yeah. Well, yeah, I can, uh, I'm glad to hear that from you, like, uh, or the future of BMR as a whole. And um, what are some common myths about BMNR that you want to clear up now and since you're already like attending and running your own private practice? Yeah, I mean, I haven't really experienced that so much, but I've heard people say that they get confused between a physiatrist and a therapist, physical therapist, you know, with, uh, you know, that's very common. I, I, I'm not saying I haven't heard that from other people, but this is for me, you know, confused that, um, you know, people might uh, associate that with a specific thing. For example, they might say, oh, well, physiatrists only do pain management. Um, at the same time, uh, other other people might think that we're not very valuable. We're not a surgeon, for example, and you know we're just you know just doing stuff that might not create value. But that's not true. There's enough evidence. There's enough studies and enough data to show that we are valuable. Those are probably the most important thing. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, definitely about that. And uh, some people might they come and like make a mistake like, oh, you're a physical therapist? Now, like, uh, like uh, they don't know much about it. It's come with the branding wise as well, and you said earlier. Uh, and uh, I know that you are not like uh, associated with any like academic institution right now at the moment, but uh, in this pandemic time and uh, uh, in this pandemic time in the era cycle, per your current knowledge and your connection with other physiatrists around the country, uh, what are your view on how the program would choose uh, an applicant for this year? Uh, I think because, you know, a lot of times, obviously, you haven't been able to do the rotations at the, the program you wanted to pick. I mean, I was very fortunate that I was able to do the rotations in the majority of places in Chicago. Um, 
it's going to be based on your application, obviously, and, you know, your uh, letter recommendations, whatever you have. Um, you know, if I was in, as, as a pro, if I was a program director, it'd be a tough choice because, you know, you don't, you really don't know how passionate someone is because their rotation got canceled or they don't have a letter. That's why I think more, um, there's going to be more, I think, weight onto your scores possibly, which I don't think is the right approach because that doesn't tell you what kind of physiatrist will be. Uh, you know, obviously there's some kind of baseline score, but it really shouldn't just be based on scores. Uh, maybe the personal statement and your history of why you like physiatry and what led you to that point, probably more weighted versus other stuff. Uh, it's it's going to be very tough. I think they might actually end up having to do a lot more interviews to get to know people because the heiress application might not tell you enough, especially because, you know, now the interviews majority, I'm sure they're going to be Zoom and, you know, or whatever uh, video, they might be able to squeeze in more interviews. So it, it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting cycle. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, I can see that as well. Very, uh, very weird time we live in right now. Um, and uh, when I did my rotation with you, I had an awesome time with learning about BMNR. And I have a mock interview with you uh, to repair for the ERA cycle as well. And I'm very glad that I did that with you. Uh, what are some of your advice on the fourth year medical students in this uh, uh, interview seasons? Uh, one, one advice would be to the setup, right? So, uh, you know, making sure you have the proper setup, the proper lighting, the proper, uh, you know, camera, the audio, and those are like simple stuff. You know, you unfortunately don't have control um, over everything. The internet, maybe make sure you have a landline connected, not Wi-Fi. I mean, it's a basic stuff, but you got to make sure you get all that stuff ready. Practice, practice, practice. You know, you, you want to make sure you sound professional, uh, you're not doing anything that's fidgety or just not looking professional, you know, those kind of things. Obviously, you can practice a lot. Record yourself, hear yourself out, ask other people for advice about how you sound. Uh, there are obviously certain questions that will be asked, and I don't know if you want to ask me later on or not, but, um, you know, certain things will be asked consistently. I think I was asked that every single interview that I had, and I think I interviewed at 15 places, um, was YPMNR. And, you know, everything on your ARIS application is in, could be a question. So making sure, like, you understand everything written down and you're able to answer any questions related to that. Um, and then, you know, it's tough because, you know, when I was uh, resident applying for residency, you know, you got to spend time with the, the, uh, the, the residents the night before when you hang out in a social gathering and you get to kind of see the vibe of the people and they get to see your body language and, you know, things like that that might not be that, you know, approachable on a video call. Uh, but you want to still do your best and be confident and, and passionate about the field. And, you know, at the same time, don't come off as being too arrogant. I think most physiatrists don't like people who are arrogant. Just come off as like your, your love and passion for the field of people you want to take care of. As long as that comes through, I think that's the best you can do. Yeah, thank you so much for that. But yeah, that is, like you said about uh, some question interview that they might ask you to come in one. And, um, uh, I'd also like want to know about like what are some questions that they think that our students should ask the program so that we can learn more about them. Yeah, other questions, I'll go back to that last was like, other questions they might ask. Um, you know, obviously one is going to be, you know, why, why PM&R? They might sometimes, I mean, again, it's hard to kind of predict what programs will ask. Every program is their own, you know, thing. And, uh, but there's certain things that will usually be asked again and again. It might be a memorable patient. Um, you know, a specific thing about a condition you saw, you know, and you've got to have a story of why you want to do PM&R down, obviously. 
They might even ask you what you think you might do afterwards. Um, and if you don't know, you don't know. You just want to be honest about it. As far as like the questions you want to ask them, again, it really depends on the program. You know, every program is different. They might do might have a specific research program, or they might have a fellowship they have, or they might have a specific at attending you want to work with. Uh, but I think, especially in the world right now, uh, have asking them if they have a specific policy about integration, engaging, you know, and because that's a big part of like what we do, especially like, you know, people like you and me, we're immigrants, you know? Um, and, you know, as long as I, I, I the, the programs that I interviewed at, I vast majority of them are probably welcome. Um, one of the things that I want to bring up actually is like, you know, when you're applying for residency and interviewing stuff, uh, is deciding on what kind of program do you want as in size? Because that was one of the things that I thought about a lot because you can have pro I had programs that I interviewed at that had 20, 20 residents, 15 residents and 10 residents. It's pretty big programs. And some that had only two. And I knew that I wanted somewhere in the middle because if you only have two residents and let's say you don't get along with that co-resident, then you have a tough three years ahead of you. Or if you have 12 residents and you kind of get lost in the mix, um, I wanted that middle ground of like five or six residents uh, in which you know, I could get to at least, you know, I, I, thankfully I got along with everybody, but you can at least have that camaraderie and not just be very small. So asking about their extra out of, out of, you know, work activities, like do they have group activities? That tells you a lot about the environment they have. Uh, you know, some residents will travel to conferences together. Some will actually do uh, sports events together. Um, if you're interested in sports coverage, for example, ask them how much of that do they do? And is that a required or is it an opportunity for that? If you're interested in research, what do they do? It really depends on what you're interested in doing and asking questions based on that. Um, and I think really it boils down to, and it's tough because you're doing a virtual interview, like what kind of environment they have? Is it a nurturing environment? Is it more on your own and you ask questions? I prefer the nurturing environment initially because you're new at this. You need to help you out. Yeah, definitely. Uh, thank you so much for those uh, questions that you uh, you told us uh, to ask the the program, and that's I think that's gonna be very helpful when it comes to like ERAS. I mean, like come to the interview cycle. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna answer one more thing. Actually, I'm gonna add one thing because I'm sure no one else talked about this. Um, do not focus on call. Do not focus on like I didn't think of that as like my category of like things I like and don't like about a program. Home call versus Q4 call versus Q6 call. It's best to take call. And you might be like, oh, well, you kind of want that cush lifestyle and PMNR is like plenty of money, relaxation. You know, it's, this is the one time in your life where you can learn without other distractions. You know, as a business owner, I have so many distractions and that kind of stuff. So it's okay. You know, we'll always, all, everybody survives it. You know, PMNR, with the new rules and everything, they're not going to overwork you. Don't focus on call. It's okay to have a tough intern here. You don't have to get the most cushion to intern here. It's the one time in your life where you really are in there and learning it. And it goes by fast if anything else you don't have. Six months in after COVID, imagine that, you know, like it's six months in now. So it goes by fast. Try to get the tough intern here and try to, you know, go to a program. It's okay if they have a lot of acute rehab. It's okay, you know. I think I tell people to kind of calm down and don't want to say I want the cushion's program. I understand why someone wants that, but you're not going to maybe learn as much. Yeah, definitely. I see. Um, I know that you also did a fellowship after residency. And what are your thoughts on doing fellowship versus like working in a general physician post residency? Just a couple of uh, points about that. Um, you know, 
honestly look at the program that you're in and decide on a fellowship once you're in the program. Don't decide like before the program. So in my opinion, uh, once you're in the program, because certain programs are so comprehensive that you really don't need to do an MSK uh, fellowship or uh, uh, you know, pain fellowship because they will give you all that during residency or EMG fellowship or brain injury fellowship. Honestly, the fellowship for the brain injury, spinal cord pains, and again, people can have different opinions about that, but typically they're more for academic uh, attendings or research-based attendings because in prior practice, no one's going to ask you if you have a brain injury uh, fellowship when you're taking care of outpatient brain injury patients. Some hospitals might require, certain areas might require, geographic areas. If you're flexible about where you want to work, you want to work you could be rural or urban, doesn't matter, then, you know, you might not need a fellowship in the rural area and urban area, you definitely will need a fellowship. If you don't want to limit your options, do a fellowship. Uh, certain fellowships will, you know, obviously will teach you procedures like interventional pain, MSK, sports medicine. Uh, but I think that decision about the fellowship thing should be made one year in residency and you start to see what you love to do. Because I went into PM&R, I think that I'm going to do brain injury. And half of you had decided uh, I want to do sports medicine. And then right at the end, I wanted to do a fellowship that a mix of interventional and sports medicine. And I have friends of mine who did a fellowship in sports. They did a fellowship in interventional pain after that. I did two fellowships. Those are the kind of things that you would decide once you get there and once you kind of start seeing the patient population because you don't know what you like until you start doing it as, an, as a resident attending. So you might say, I love sports medicine. But when you start seeing the patients, you're like, you know what? I don't know. I like a different patient population maybe. So... Uh, I think it's beneficial to learn skills that you might have learned in residency. The skills you can take the rest of your life, it's best to do it right after residency, but it's definitely not a requirement. Wow. That's a great advice from you, Dr. Tariq. And uh, yeah, that's same thing as me. I want to come in just to have a very well, like uh, open mindset and I want to become a well-rounded physiatrist as well. Um, so just a little bit to learn more about yourself and just a fun fun fact about you uh, before we can we end with the podcast so what are some hobbies that you love to do besides like medicines why besides like working at your clinic sure um well recently my hobby has been taking care of my three-year-old and hang out with him and you know he's three and a half or three and a half about three and a half and i love it it's a beautiful age um but you know uh, still even though he's, he's three and a half you've taken him to seven eight countries and uh i we love traveling I was born in Malaysia. I've gone to 50 plus 55 countries, I think. And, uh, you know, been all over the world. And I feel like it's something that I truly, truly love to do. And even though, you know, obviously right now it's COVID, but, you know, I've, I've gone to so many countries that I'm not really missing it. And I, but I'm excited for the future when there's no COVID. Um, I haven't gone to Vietnam yet. I would love to go. I've gone to Thailand and Malaysia, Singapore, all over that area. But one day, hopefully we can go there. Yeah, definitely. Hopefully, like after this COVID or have a chance in the future, me and you can travel to Vietnam. I can show you my hometown and uh, everything about it as well. Oh my God, that'd be amazing. I love, obviously, love food from the Southeast Asia and uh, that part of the world for sure. But uh, also, be interesting is that you know maybe we can set up uh, some um, a mission and maybe we can have yeah. students come along with us. Uh, you know, for example, I have access to everything you can imagine. You know, obviously, ultrasound machines and injections and steroid injections or prolo or PRP things like that you can always go out there and try to help some you know people out who disability and have knee pain and you know there's a lot of people like that across the world you know especially in terrible countries that need our help and uh, I think there's one skill that we have that we can really use uh, for sure in the future yeah definitely definitely I'm, I'm down for it definitely like go help people travel at the same time so perfect yeah yep. and um 
I know that um, uh, you are a very well resourced person with a lot of, like insight into the Filipino and the medicine in general. Uh, where can our listener connect with you online to learn more about you uh, as well as your other future project? Sure. Um, you know, I, I'm guessing most people who listen to this one might be on, on uh, Twitter. Um, obviously, you can tweet me. I mean, uh, DM me as well. Um, uh, another thing, the advice that I have for you is, and I don't know if you've, lost, you've done this or not, but create a LinkedIn profile. Uh, you know, it takes like five, ten minutes to do. I make a professional profile. And you'll be you'll be surprised at how many connections you can make that way. And people like you know are, are pretty approachable. Um, and then you know, obviously, over time, keep up with everything you're, you're doing and add things in there and add people. And don't be afraid of adding anybody. It could be a chairman of a department. Doesn't matter. You know, LinkedIn especially. Like it's not like you have to be friends to be uh, you know connected. Um, otherwise, I mean, LinkedIn and Twitter are probably the two easiest way to do it. Um, if anybody is in Chicago and depending on my schedule, I'll be happy to take them in as students. I always have students. Okay, definitely. Thank you so much for that advice. I'm definitely gonna update it. I have a LinkedIn, but I haven't like updated much, so I need to update that. And uh, do you mind if I like uh, put your Twitter handle uh, on this video so people can? Uh, think? Okay, awesome. Thank you so much, Terry. Sure. And um, yeah, I think that's all I have for you today on the podcast. Uh, I have a lot of fun doing this podcast with you and I'm glad I can like interview you for the podcast as well since you're also like my preceptor, uh, my first actually for being a preceptor uh, officially, uh, virtual rotation. So I'm very glad to have you here and uh, thank you so much uh, Dr. Tarek for doing this with me today. Of course man, very proud of you and hopefully the, the whole cycle goes well and if you need to let me know. Uh, thank you so much, you have a good night.